Good morning and welcome to the Hub City Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us in worship this morning. If you're new to Hub City, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like more information about our vision, if you'd like to get connected to biblical community through groups, or if you'd like to find an opportunity to serve the body of Christ with us, you can visit our website, thehubcitychurch.org, or just text the word Hub City to 97,000 and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. We had a great time yesterday at our ladies' brunch, and while we will be taking a break from community groups for the summer, we hope you'll stay connected through women's and men's groups on Wednesday nights at 6. We'll continue our summer schedule with our May Play Day on Sunday, May 28th. In lieu of community groups, we will have a fellowship in our backyard with burgers, birthday cake, and a giant water slide to celebrate our church's 15-year anniversary. We hope you'll make plans to join us for that, as well as all of the fun fellowship and outreach opportunities we'll have this summer. As we get ready to enter into corporate worship, if you're worried about having little ones in service with you, we want you to be at ease. We love kids and have a lot of them here. There are coloring sheets in the back of the sanctuary. Our kids ministry is always available to you. And we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're so glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. All right. Well, hey guys, good morning again. My name is Tad Anderson. Uh, if I've not met you, I am uh, one of the elders here at the Hub City Church. I'm the the lead teaching pastor here. And so again, on behalf of our church family, we're so glad that you're here to worship Jesus with us today. And uh, I've just got a few announcements before we get into the word. The first thing is, again, just celebrating the ladies' brunch. Here that went really well, and they had some good food and some competitive games, I guess. Um, and so, uh, as my wife did in the welcome video, just want to encourage you, um, if you are uh, somewhat new to the Hub City Church or trying to figure out how you fit in here with this family, um, you can text uh, the word, the, it's the words, but do it together, Hub City to 97,000. Um, but one of the main ways that you can really get to know people quick would be through our discipleship ministries, our men's and women's ministries. Those meet on Wednesday nights, um, and you can find information about that on our website, thehubcitychurch.org. Org. Uh, the next thing is, the next uh, event that is upcoming is our, our May Play Day. That's going to be next Sunday. And so the, the theme of that, as you, you might know, we've been repeating it over and over, uh, is that we are celebrating 15 years together as a church, which is kind of a big deal. Um, most of the, I mean, just to give you some reference, most of the Baptist churches in this area are, you know, 40 to 50 plus years old. Um, and so getting established as a church is not an easy thing, especially in the cultural climate that we are in. And so come and eat burgers and birthday cake with us as we praise God for his kindness uh, to us in, in that 15 years. Um, the last thing is, um, if you want to follow along with our sermons, I don't know how many of you know this, but you can go to our website, thehubcitychurch.org. You can go to the resources tab, click sermons, 
And then you can see right there this week's sermon notes. You can see the points, the biblical texts. Take extra notes if you want. Uh, things that the Holy Spirit says to you that I would not know to say. Uh, and then you can email it to yourself right there. So if you'd like to do that, you can do it. You can also link to that through our app. So just want to you know, make sure you know that. Um, all right. Well, we are in week three of our new series through the New Testament letter to the Ephesian church. We have titled this series, Life Together in Christ, because uh, the first half of the letter is this kind of lengthy and, and beautiful articulation of gospel doctrine. What is, what is the gospel? And then on the back half of the letter, it's mostly application to individuals, families, and churches who are doing life together. In Christ, okay. Uh, in the first couple of weeks, we've been discussing some some pretty amazing truths regarding the specific will of God for us, namely that uh, He has a will for each of us, and that He has not kept that will a secret. But now He's revealed in Christ our destiny as believers. And today, we're going to wrap up that first introductory passage in chapter one by talking about the great sense of security. Okay, that we ought to have in God's electing and predestining grace. So um, let's read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll talk about it. Ephesians 1, let's pick it up in, in verse 7. It says, In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, the first day of the week that we get to gather together every week, most of us not even having to work and to celebrate the gospel. God, would we remember that we gather on Sunday, not just because it's an arbitrary day that our culture randomly decided to take off, but because this is the day that the gospel, all that Jesus taught, was validated by his resurrection from the dead. And so all that we discuss this morning and every Sunday morning, Lord, I pray that we would remember this, that it is foundationally rooted in the greatest possible evidence that any faith practice could have and has ever had. And thus, this is not a time simply for us to have community or merely to check the box of spirituality or to give a pat motivational speech about morality and behavior modification. 
but that this is a time to worship Jesus Christ, who has totally proven himself to be God in human flesh and who has demonstrated that he is the only one worthy of our trust as Savior and our submission as Lord. And so, God, I pray via our passage in Ephesians this morning, by the enlightening of the Holy Spirit, that we would either remember or maybe realize for the first time the great sense of security that that gospel brings. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, hey, summer is upon us. I know that because it's hot all of a sudden. And so uh, one of the best things about summer in our, our family anyway uh, is that we try to take some time off and, and travel somewhere together that's not Crestview because uh, family vacations are fun and they're useful for having kind of a, just a reset with some quality time that we, we can't really get in all the hustle and the bustle of, of school going on. But, um, you, you know, I, I've had the privilege of serving on the State Board of Missions for the Florida Baptist Convention over the last six years. And so I, I usually get to travel um, a few times a year for that. And I must say that while I enjoy traveling for family vacations, there's always the, the piece of you know, this, this little thing, the expense of it, right, um, that I have to think about as dad, right? And so um, there's just something really nice about taking a trip to South or Central Florida for work purposes where I just show up to a hotel that I did not book or pay for, and usually meals that I didn't plan, accommodations that are uh, just there because they were expecting me, right? Uh, If you had to travel at all for work, maybe you've had similar experiences. Um, Even though the trip is for business, not pleasure, right? It's, It's nice to be expected and have things taken care of in advance for your arrival. Uh, Where am I going with this? Well, Years ago, there was an evangelism movement called uh, Evangelism Explosion, and it taught people how to have explicit gospel conversations, which is a good thing, right? But usually, um, the way that their evangelistic method would train people to share the gospel would be to start out by asking them this same question. They would say, um, if you died tonight and stood before God... And he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Right? And to be clear, I'm not knocking this method because I think it gets straight to the point. If you share the gospel that way, great. You probably are getting into some good gospel conversations. However, from the biblical perspective, I think what we see in our passage today is that if you are in Christ... That's not actually how your arrival to heaven is going to go. It's not going to be like, um, you know, going to an old school speakeasy or something where you walk up to a sketchy door down a dark alley, somebody opens a little latch in the door and says, what's the password, you know? Um, No, church, when you pass um, through death from this life into the next, if you're in Christ... They will be expecting you. They'll be expecting you. Jesus makes it a point to comfort his disciples in this. In John 14, where he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That passage in John 14 is a a pretty famous one where uh, Thomas then says to Jesus, but Lord, how, how can we know the way? And Jesus responds, I am the way and the truth and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 is elaborating on a lot of the specifics of, of how all of this should be understood by us now as the church after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And in so doing, I think this text has become um, a great one for our understanding of assurance of salvation or eternal security. So uh, the big overarching idea of our time together this morning is that the final salvation of all those who are in Christ has been settled in advance. Okay, The final salvation of all those who are in Christ has been settled in advance. But rather than you going through your life with kind of a shaky hope, detached from the Bible, that those who have been once saved are always saved, right? Just get that out of there, all right? Like, let's talk about the Bible, all right? That's, you know, all right. I want us to walk through this passage and see three aspects of the security of God's grace in Christ, all right? So this this passage reminds us that we have been purchased by his blood, assured by his supremacy, and guarded by his spirit. So let's, let's take those one by one. First of all, dear Christian, okay, in your faith, in this life, uh, death and resurrection of Jesus, like you have been purchased by his blood, okay? And your faith in his life, death, and resurrection, you have been purchased by his blood. Here's, here's what these verses say. Starting again in verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption. And let me pause there first um, and point out that this is indeed a settled matter. Okay? It says, we have it. Not, we might have it, or, um, you know, we'll have it if we do X, Y, and Z. In Christ, it says, we have redemption already. Our final state of spiritual perfection is still not yet, but it's coming, okay? Because we have redemption already. Last year in 1 Peter, we articulated that redemption is the biblical word that implies a concept of being bought back. And usually it pertains to the idea of prior slavery. Okay, so when you think about redemption, this is what you should think about. Redemption is this idea of being bought back from slavery, which we learn is an important way of understanding our sinful, rebellious state prior to faith. While we were indeed culpable or responsible for our own transgressions and sins, on the other side of that coin, while we lived like sin was something that we could selfishly use to our advantage, It had, in fact, ensnared us. We were caught 
in it. We were slaves to it. A common lie that people believe who have begun sinning in some way that would be categorized as an addiction is they say this, I can stop whenever I want. I can stop whenever I want. If that were true, <laughs> there would be no need for ministries that provide accountability, right? And really, anyone who has ever tried to stop sinning, anybody in here? You try to stop sinning. <laughs> uh, if you've tried to stop sinning, here's what you've realized. Not a cakewalk. Not a cakewalk. It's a battle. Right? Thankfully, in Christ, all of our battling will not be in vain because Jesus has won the war and he now forgives our sin and empowers us to freely reject it for the greater joy and pleasure of knowing him and being fulfilled by him. Okay, so that's redemption. And then verses 7 and 8 go on to say, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And, and, and here's the important um, thing about that, this being redeemed or purchased by his blood. Here's the important part about that. As Christian rapper Shylin says it, the Old Testament saints were saved on credit, and the New Testament saints have been saved on debit. Does that make sense? <laughs> God paid for you in cash. Amen. Okay? Uh, actually, better than that, he inflation-proofed it. It's like, more like he paid for you in gold, but, but even better than gold, Amen. right? Gold is going to burn up one day. The blood of Christ is infinitely and eternally valuable. And we see this all throughout the Bible. Okay. In Acts chapter 20, speaking to pastors about why they should shepherd the flock with great care, it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Hebrews 9, referring to the high priestly work Christ accomplished on the cross, says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of, his, of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats, and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. 1 Corinthians 6, encouraging our obedience and commitment to ongoing holiness, says, For you were bought with a price. That's Jesus' blood. So glorify God in your body. Romans 8.32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That is, if he was willing to pay for you with his own blood initially, do you think he's going to fail to do whatever else may be necessary to save you finally? Right. And even in the Old Testament, we see this was foretold in Isaiah 53. It says, but he... Speaking of Jesus, 700 years before Jesus, 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Okay, first of all, transgressors, that's us. That's sinners. So it's saying Jesus makes now intercession for the transgressors. Intercession is defined this way, an interposing or pleading on behalf of another person. Okay, that's intercession. But what's interposing? Interposing is putting an obstacle in the way of someone and something that would harm them. The great insurmountable obstacle that Jesus has placed between us and the wrath of God is his precious blood. And so this is the first reason I say from our text that the salvation of those who are in Christ has been settled in advance. Last week, we discussed the beauty of being chosen before the foundation of the world. But when we look to the cross, we see the way that in his great wisdom, he determined to actually break into human history and reconcile those chosen sinners. It was by his blood that he would purchase us. And though our sins are like scarlet, wash us white as snow. So if you want to be sure that you are secure in your faith, anybody want that? (laughs) Me too. If you want to be sure that you are secure in your faith, don't look at you. Don't look at you. You are not why you are safe, friend. You are not why you are safe. To quote the great Tim Keller, it's not the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves us. The object is Christ, who poured out his own blood on the cross with you on his heart and mind. Now, uh, we could probably wrap up our conversation on the security of grace uh, right there, but Paul doesn't because there's more. Okay, so he, he, he continues to, to go on here. We've not just been purchased by Christ's blood, even though there's a lot of security in that. Okay, We're also assured by his supremacy. Assured by his supremacy. In verses 9 and 10, here's what it says. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite 
all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, friends, listen close because I, I want you to understand something, okay, about the Orthodox Christian faith historically, okay? And I want you under, to understand this because this has been lost in many churches today, okay? Many modern preachers, in a desire to be inspirational, and build large followings, they're proclaiming a me-centered gospel. Okay, A me-centered gospel. That is, and it's tricky, okay, a gospel that sounds a lot like the gospel of Scripture, where Jesus saves you. Okay, But here's where it takes an unfortunate turn. They would lead you to believe that the primary foundational reason that he has saved you has mainly to do with something phenomenal about you. When it doesn't. Okay. Stay with me. I'm not trying to be mean to you. I don't don't mean that you're not special and precious to God. You are. We discussed that last week. But we all are. We all are. Every single person who has ever lived has been a precious soul made in the image and the likeness of God. All people are precious. All people are special. Okay? We were made as people to reflect his glory. And so... In saving us, his foundational purpose is not us, but the magnificence of his glory. Are you following me? The mystery of God's will before Christ was this. So you see that word mystery, okay? Like, here's the mystery of God's will before Christ. How is he going to fix the giant cosmic mess that sin and brokenness has created and perpetuated. That's the mystery. And while from the human perspective, sure, we've wondered or people wondered, how is God going to save us from our own guilt in the matter? That was a mystery before Christ. That's a piece of it, right? But bigger than that is how is God going to remain glorious when he has been so dishonored by Satan first and then by us to the degree that, I mean, I don't know if you've read to the end of the Old Testament and then stopped. (laughs) Like Malachi, you know, like it's just kind of like, ends and it just seems grim and hopeless. This is the mystery. How's God going to fix this big mess? And Jesus was the answer. Jesus was the answer. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, who our text says is going to unite all 
things in himself in the fullness of time. Okay. And so just like in every good hero story, which, by the way, what you'll notice if you start watching hero stories is that um, it's loosely based on Jesus, always. Um, <laughs> so just like all hero stories, he does save and win the princess who becomes his bride. But he does so by slaying the dragon that was wreaking havoc on the kingdom. Okay? Listen to this text here and and see what I mean. In 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20, it says this. It says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Verse 24. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. You see, we who are in Christ are safe. Not because we are so great. Not because we are so great. But because Jesus is so great. And Jesus is going to win and restore perfect peace to his universe and to his kingdom. Okay. Sin and death were instigated by the devil, God's enemy. And so Jesus has already dealt with sin on the cross. And when he returns, he's going to eradicate death. And he's going to kick the devil in the teeth while he's at it. Okay. Satan may be referred to still as the prince of the power of the air and pretend to be in charge of the happenings on earth. But when Jesus returns to crush him, I like to pretend he's going to say that line from Bane on Batman, The Dark Knight Rises. (laughs) Do you feel in charge? (laughs) Okay, probably not. But you get the point. You get the point. Our assurance lies not in our own greatness, but in his supremacy. In his supremacy. Because his total rule and reign are sovereignly coming, we can be at ease regarding our ultimate salvation. It's secure because he is secure. This is why Romans 5 says it this way. It says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him... We've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of our salvation? Nope. Nope. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Right? We have hope and rejoice in his glory 
because his glory is what prompted him to make us in the first place and thus motivated him to come after us. Okay. Now, through all this, you may be asking, like, but does he love us? Absolutely. Absolutely he does. But his own glory, okay, God's own glory is at the pinnacle of his affections. And that is a good thing. That's a good thing. Okay? Because if God loved humanity more than he loved his own glory, then he would become unjust. I'll let you think about that. If God loved humanity more than his own glory, then he would become unjust because, well, he would just sweep our sin under the rug, right? And he would cease to be good. But you see, in loving his own glory, he has maintained his perfect commitment to both love and justice, satisfying the need for both in Christ. Okay. And so, if you are in Christ, don't be fearful of the loss of your salvation. Because <laughs> it's wrapped up in the glory of God Amen. and the supremacy of Christ. Amen. And that's unshakable. Okay. Psalm 46.10 is one that a lot of people know <laughs> culturally, um, but they cut it off. Be still and know that I am God. And then they stop reading it right there. Because it looks cute on their decor or whatever, you know. <laughs> but you short-circuit the comfort. <laughs> the comfort comes after that, right. right? Be still and know that I'm God. And what? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God will be glorified. And Christ will will reign supreme. And so we're secure. We're secure. Okay. But there's one more aspect that we see in our text, making the security of grace, as it were, ironclad. We've been purchased by his blood, assured of his supremacy, and finally, we're being guarded by his spirit. Verses 13 and 14 Say, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Now, if you were to keep reading in Romans 5, where we just were, you would see that in, in verse 5 it says, in love, God poured his Holy Spirit into our hearts. Now, the interpretation of these two texts together means that for all who are in Christ, God himself is dwelling in you. Amen. <laughs> so if you're in him, he's in you, guiding you, empowering you, convicting you, strengthening you, comforting you, teaching you, growing you, maturing you, right? He's in you. And he's sealed in there. He's sealed in there. 
permanently. Which means he's not going to stop doing all of that until the day that you die, at which point you'll literally be with God face to face. That is, until we acquire possession of our inheritance, right? Now, that word in text, guarantee, right? The Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance that Paul uses, it literally means deposit or down payment, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't put a large down payment on things that I intend to change my mind about. Okay. How much more so would God, right? He didn't pay the blood of his only son for you and then seal you with his spirit to let you fizzle out and not cross the finish line. He would not do that. <laughs> I know that because Philippians 1, 6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And 1 Thessalonians 5 says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. He'll surely do it. <laughs> Brother or sister, that is as secure as it gets. That's as secure as it gets because God keeps his promises. Amen. Your final salvation has been settled in advance in Christ. But in closing, I just want to make a couple clarifications. These are not in your notes. If you want to jot them down, you can jot them down. Um, I just figured it might be important for you to think about this. Number one, the security of your eternal destiny is not the same thing as security of your temporal circumstances. You follow me? The security of your eternal destiny is not the same thing as the security of your temporary circumstances. Okay, um, If you're in a practice of evaluating how God feels about you based on your circumstances, based on you know, the ease or the difficulty of your life in the moment, friend, that's, a, that's a, not a good way to live, um, first of all. But that's an unbiblical way of relating to God, okay? And your faith, if, if you do this, if you're like, you're like, you had a good week, and so you're like, man, God's happy with me this week. You had a bad week, and you're like, man, God's really mad about something, okay? Like this is, you're gonna be tossed to and fro by the waves of life to where you are constantly questioning if God does in fact love you, okay? Now this is not a sermon on suffering, and so I'm not going to, get way down into it, but I'll just say this, suffering is part of life for everyone who follows Christ, okay? When it happens, it doesn't necessarily mean that God is upset with you. It's just part of navigating life in a broken world. And actually, what we find out, we've preached this from many texts, okay? He allows suffering 
in the lives of his people in order to decrease their reliance on earthly comfort, okay, or the things we think we can control. He wants us to stop trusting those things and increase our trust in him, okay, the things that are certain, okay. So that's the first clarification. The security of your eternal destiny is not the same thing as the security of your temporary circumstances. And, and here's the second thing. Maybe you're thinking, or maybe this is a question for you. You're like, well, man, like if, if we can't lose our salvation, well, that doesn't seem very fair because I, I know a guy who's religious and, and says he's a Christian, but he doesn't live like it at all, right? Are you saying that someone like that can get saved and do whatever they want because they're safe. To that, I would answer no. That's definitely not what I'm saying, okay? Assurance and a sense of security in faith is not for people who only care about salvation when the time for judgment comes. Okay. Assurance of salvation is not for people who only want salvation when the time for judgment comes. This is for people who know they need God now, too. Okay. So I would say, you have to evaluate this for yourself, I guess. If you're not excited that God is going to glorify himself, and you're not excited on a regular basis that Christ is going to reign supreme, okay? You're probably going to feel unsure about your salvation if those things aren't exciting to you. And, and honestly, you might feel unsure about your salvation because you might not be a Christian if that's true for you. If you're concerned about that today, I'd love to talk with you about that, okay? But basically, if, if, if you're just here to hedge your bets, right? And all you want is fire insurance, as they say. Well, then you'll never have eternal assurance. Right. Okay. But for those who really love Jesus and desire him, not just as Savior when they die, but as Lord over their whole life, well, you can, you can rest assured that his grace for you is secure because of his blood, his supremacy, and his indwelling spirit. John Piper has a great articulation of a right view of assurance. He says, the assurance of the believer is not that God will save him even if he stops believing, but that God will keep him believing. God will sustain you in faith he will make your hope firm and stable to the end. He will cause you to persevere. He'll cause you to persevere. I got some disheartening news this week about something myself, and I'll be honest, it was um, you know, something that initially, if I was honest with God, I didn't understand why it was happening. Right? Anybody else have those things <laughs> come up? Why, God? These kind of things happen even for pastors, because we're human. It's hard for us to 
fully know why God allows what he does when he does. But my response wasn't to throw my hands up and say, all right, God, that's it. You're going to have to win me again, right? No. I was sad for a little bit. After some prayer and some time to consider and remember who God is, my prayer was, God, I believe. Help my unbelief, right? And he did. He did. Just like he has before and just like he will again. Because the same God who chose us before the foundation of the world will keep us secure until the end. That's the security of grace. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful, God. So thankful for the security of grace. God, that you, you promised to keep us. God, if it was not for you doing this keeping work, if you had not solidified our salvation with the blood of your own son and the assurance of his ultimate supremacy, and the sealing of his spirit. Father, I'm certain, I can't speak for anybody else, I'm certain I would be dropping my salvation all over the place every single day. (laughs) I'm thankful that's not how it works. But for those who are in Christ, we are secure. You've settled the matter of our salvation in advance. Before the foundation of the world, But then at the cross, God, you made it abundantly clear that you do love us and that you will ultimately glorify yourself. We can be still before you knowing that, that you will be exalted and that you'll sustain us all the way to the end. God, we thank you for these precious promises. Pray that men and women here this morning would have peace and security because of this text. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.